Accreditation is a status that's earned, not given. Our featured BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are FAS Feminista, Global Impact, ICNA Relief. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBGive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBGive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor, the host. You know, some shows ago, uh, last year, even the year before, around the time of the Ukrainian war, around the time it broke out, uh, we did a few shows because people were wanting to donate to the relief effort in the Ukraine. And we found out some very interesting things, uh, some troubling things. And one of those troubling things was the vast migration of people from the Ukraine into Poland and surrounding areas. I think the number somewhere around 4 million people have been uh, displaced that way. And um, so the question is, now we've been into this almost more than two years. What's happening to those folk who have left their homes and have resettled in Poland? Well, we have a few people here, a couple people here who are going to help help us understand what's going on there. They are on the ground in Poland and doing work to try to help people get settled there from the Ukraine. And the two people that are with me today are from the Foundation Ukraine, and they are Igor Leeson. And Igor is a sociologist and researcher intercultural and business trainer with over 15 years of experience in implementation and management of local and international projects. And he's the vice president of the foundation. And by the way, this foundation is one of the biggest migrant supporting organizations in Poland. And it's working in the direction of cultural and social integration and adaptation of all migrant groups in Poland. Along with Igor is Anastasia Tur. 
She is the chief development officer and former head of the Department for Cooperation with Ukraine at Foundation Ukraine. She is responsible for supervising the organization's fundraising activities, building volunteer engagement programs, and uniting impactful social initiatives with visionary leaders from both business and other institutions around the world. So Igor and Anastasia, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you so much for having us today. It's a great pleasure for us to join and be able to share our story with the audience. Well, first of all, it was wonderful meeting you last week. I had the great fortune of meeting you in uh, in D.C. at the home of one of my board members. And we had a very robust conversation about all things Ukrainian in Poland. And I learned quite a bit and I said to myself, you know, we need to share this information so that others can hear what I heard. And I'm so glad that you could find the time now that you're back home to share uh, this story with us today. So let me start by just asking you if you could tell us about the organization and what you actually do in supporting Ukrainian immigrants in Poland. And how did you become involved with the work? Let's start with you, Anastasia. Sure. Foundation Ukraine is a migrant-led organization based in Poland in Lower Silesia, which has been established over 10 years ago here to support migrants in their uh, integration to the society. Uh, and their adaptation there. So what we do is providing providing support in terms of informational counseling, also by helping them with learning language and uh, acquiring new skills to be able to, to integrate uh, in terms of social context and economically as well. We we support kids at schools uh, by uh, intercultural assistance. So kids with foreign background can rely on people assistance. Schools can uh, support them with their day-to-day operations there. We also run a Ukrainian cultural center there where we organize different workshops, which can be educational, which can be adaptational, but also cultural. Our aim is to empower people to become self-sufficient in, in the recipient society there. And also since 2022, since the full-scale war in Ukraine, our organization has started two new lines of work for us, one of which is assisting refugees here in Poland, in Wroclaw and Lower Silesia, in terms of providing the necessary humanitarian assistance like shelter, food, cash assistance programs, supporting them by psychological counseling with legal with legal aspects of being here. And also the second line of work, which started last year, was providing humanitarian aid to Ukraine. So we have two projects that we uh, that we do in Ukraine directly, one which is providing food packages to, to the affected regions and territories. And second one is supporting the place shelter for internally displaced people within Ukraine. How did you all get connected to this? Igor, let me turn to you and ask you that question first. Hello. Thank you for inviting. Basically, we started and we have the connection because we are migrants itself. 
uh, ourselves, the Ukrainians. And then for us, uh, I've been involved with the organization almost nine years. Uh, for us, it's also a personal story. Uh, and it's very related to our own experience, migrating and then going through the process of adaptation. Uh, so it was very natural to get to get involved in, in this kind of activities. But then we start to professionalize and it became part of our everyday life, uh, everyday job. And we want to uh, continue. And then in 2022, uh, when the uh, full uh, scale war be uh, broke out, uh, it, it was for us a very uh, first thing to do to go with the quick response, especially that we have a community built already in, in Poland, uh, Ukrainian community, uh, diaspora community, migrant community. And it was also for us natural to coordinate these activities, to involve them, but also involve Polish society, Polish people into helping uh, those who are fleeing the war. So how is it to migrate from Ukraine to Poland? You have your own personal story. I'm interested in hearing you tell us some of the challenges associated with moving forward so our listeners might understand what some of the people are going through today. My personal story, I moved to Poland when I was 16. I moved without parents. But I would say that my, uh, also Anastasia's story are very different from what uh, people experienced last year. We've been fortunate to migrate on our own will, and we were kind of prepared to go through the, all the bureaucracies, all, all the challenges uh, coming with migration, learning the language, uh, finding friends, finding how flat, how, and finding then job, etc. And th this is a very, I would say, happy story comparing to the ones that we've been acquiring uh, throughout last almost two years. I want to share one, one sh short story. couple from Ukraine, from Kherson, pro probably the city that uh, a lot of people heard. The elderly couple, 65 and 69 years old, they, uh, they've been living happy life. They, they had in Kherson good... They were already retired, but they had a good house near the Kherson dump. And they forced to, fl to flee. And when they came to, to, to Poland, they were very confused. They even wanted to work. The, the man who was 69, he wanted to work, but it was not really possible for him to find a job. No one wanted to even talk with him about the uh, job at his age. And they came to our reception point at the train station. First, we supported them to find accommodation, then with some cash program assistance, and then they joined our uh, senior clubs where they could integrate with, with other senior people and learn some language. And even though th it took them quite a long time and basically with, with the support, the man could find a job at the same building that ran this club for the elderly people. And this is also sad and tragic story because their house was flooded away with the water uh, when the dump was bombed. But it's kind of a story with happy end, because they got the support, they got uh, settled in, in Poland, the man has a job, and now they try to build their life from the beginning. But this is very rare happy story, for especially 
people with disadvantages like age, like disabilities. So there's a lot of unhappy stories, unfortunately. Anastasia, what are some of your experiences working with and getting donors to respond to this enormous need that exists in Poland right now? Well, my personal my personal story and experience also with the foundation as well as working with donors nationally and internationally started last year. And of course, the first response was amazing. It was tremendous. People showed how much they care and they wanted to support and be involved in all the ways. So we received calls during day and night. It was like emails were coming all all the time, like offering us different kind of help from we can uh, drive your people around the city if you need your volunteers to, to be transferred to some places to assist people. We can can send you medical aid if you need. We can house people. We can we can go with you to Ukraine if you need us to be there at the border to, to assist people. So we received different types of help. And it was amazing, but it was the first wave as it, as it usually happens. People are shocked. People need to to feel like they're in control by doing something and this 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 was amazing but later on uh, what we uh, what we've been facing is that that the support is decreasing as as the news are shifting like ukraine is not in the loop in the news and the support is shifting down and that's the challenging part for us but we are our organization has been lucky in terms of our partners and donors uh, nationally and internationally as they decided to to stay with us in the long term they saw how we work they came to volunteer with us some of the employees of these companies who supported us they stood with us 24 7 on the railway station where we received refugees and uh, others volunteered to support us in our capacity building by sharing their experience and knowledge from their fields, their companies and their institutions. So they help by, uh, by teaching us, by, by sharing these experiences. So my personal experience has been so far quite amazing working, working in this field, but still we do face many challenges and have a lot of room to learn. <laughs> Now it's time for our Giving Tips segment with Bennett Weiner, one of the world's most renowned experts on charity accountability and the COO of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance. So during the holiday season, it's likely you're going to see a product that's being sold in the context that buying this will help a specified charity. Now that's okay, certainly to do that if you want to, but look for a disclosure to see if it's transparent about how the charity is benefiting. For example, the charity gets a few dollars or so, $3 per purchase during the month of November, up to $100,000. In one sentence, you're told not only how much of the purchase is going, what the maximum amount is and what the time period is of the campaign. If you don't see a disclosure like that, you may want to go to a product that is a little bit more upfront about how the company is helping the charity through purchases. And also, I would say, watch out for vague language that says all profits are going to go or a portion of the proceeds will go. That type of vague language doesn't really tell you how much is going. And it's going to be very difficult for you to find out how exactly you're helping the charity financially by making a purchase. So find products that are upfront with that information so you can make an informed decision. When we were together last week, we talked about 
how people were getting settled. And one of the things that struck me was that many families from Ukraine were actually living with other families in Poland. And I don't know how many people really considered that. I think a lot of times we assume that people leave one place and they head somewhere else and they're immediately able to get a place to live on their own or there's some type of government support for them to allow them to live in some type of government housing. I am struck by this because I can't imagine that most people who took immigrants in from Ukraine thought they would be living in their homes this long. Has that created some tension? And how is that being dealt with if it is? Last year, it was an amazing solidarity move when people, 85 to 90% of the refugees took them into the private housing, even having a very limited space, living with one family in tiny apartments, they taking in another family. And some continuously living with the people they didn't know before from the beginning of the war. Of course, a lot of people went out, found a job, found another ways to accommodate, but there's still cases when people live together. And of course, it created some tensions after a few months, but tensions more like when you live together with other people at the limited space. And we didn't really face a lot of intercultural or national tensions between Poles and Ukrainian refugees. Even though th- those who could, they tried to move out as fast as possible because they wanted to be independent. And that really shows now in Poland, about 70% of those who can work are employed. But even working, uh, they usually cannot afford uh, to rent apartment on the market. So they, they quite often live together, few families, because Quite often it's one mother having few children or having an elderly person under her care. And it's not just enough to, to work one person to, to be able to rent the apartment, especially in big, bigger cities. So people still have to find a way how to live together with someone, with other families. And I think that really building the character and showing how much people want to help each other and how much people want to just normally live and function even in a wartime. As much as I'd like to say people are generous, I'm always struck by how quickly support goes away from a disaster situation after the cameras go away. But yet the needs of people persist. How have you all managed, given that dynamic, when the problem hits the media, there's a lot of support, but then cameras go away, support goes away. How have you all been able to manage, given that? I guess there are two answers to this question. Because we were mostly prepared before before it all started, we had an organization structure, well-prepared, we had people who had experience with work, working in crisis situations. So this is something that helped us manage from the beginning to allow us to, 
to keep good relationship with people who supported us. So it wasn't like an impulse decision. So we weren't acting thoughtlessly. It was something that we were trying to, to build in the long run. As we were aware, the war is not ending in one day, unfortunately. Therefore, we had to be prepared to work in the long run and to assist people in the long run. So this is one. And for two, we've been able to keep working after the media attention went down, mainly because people people with whom we've been working, who've been volunteering with us and partners who supported our activities, they saw the impact we've created together. They saw the actual results. They saw the transparency of the process of our work and everything. And that allowed us to to keep working with these people, to maintain this relationship. But also these people became our reliable ambassadors in the world. So working with people not only from Poland, but also from other countries allowed us to build a good relationship with those people who kept lobbying and advocating for support for migrants and refugees here in Poland. Even though these people are thousands of miles away from us, they are doing an amazing job keeping this information about Ukraine in the loop and attracting other donors and potential supporters for our cause. So so this is my answer. No, it's a good answer. To add to that, next year will be even more without cameras and more and more marginalized people uh, with fewer opportunities would really rely on our support. So a lot of international organizations will go out, they will have their exit strategies from Poland because it's much harder to fundraise to sustain big structures in the country. So for us, it's even bigger determination to work with different actors, with different partners, to reach across the ocean, to build network, to stay because we've been there for over 10 years. And we intend to be next decades. Uh, and we know that even if tomorrow war would end, the support and the recovery process will take years, create this stability in, in, in the country and the neighboring country where the refugees and migrants went. Having this long-term perspective, we are not discouraged when cameras uh, went off. We are determined to work even harder. Very good. You mentioned that 70% of the immigrants have already become employed. What are they doing? Are they doing comparable work as they were when they were in Ukraine? Or are they taking up new careers, new professions? What are they doing? Uh, Most of the refugees are working under their qualification. So uh, they took the lower qualified job, recent Uh, Research says that about 67% of those who work, especially in uh, smaller towns, are working under their qualification and under their uh, education. So they were determined to work to start independent life, but they are determined to fight for the better life and better career. So we're also trying to help developing skills, reskilling, upskilling of the refugees so they can really open their potential and also benefit for the society, for the market, for the economy of the country that's hosting them. So I was wondering if you have a similar phenomenon there as we do here, where some Americans believe that 
when immigrants come in or refugees, however you might refer to them, and they take jobs, which is a good thing, I believe, that they're actually taking jobs away from people who are already here. And that sort of creates some tension, although I've seen very little evidence of that. But nonetheless, that's what people say, and it creates a certain degree of frustration and disdain as well. What's the experience over there? How are people responding when they see the Ukrainians in the workplace? On the narration level, especially with ex-government, it was still this, they're taking jobs uh, from us. But recent uh, also a- analyzes atmosphere is more than like this, that they are feeling the blanks where it's need to be filled. I mean, Poland, but also other European countries are aging and they need people to work, not only at the basic works, physical works, but also on very different level. We lack doctors, we, we lack engineers, managers, etc. So especially for Poland now, hosting well-educated refugees it's a blessing for the labor market. But we need to make sure that the people who came, that they have a chance to actually enter the, the labor market, not stay on the social dependence of the country. And yes, if we speak about the people's level, of course, there is some tension between people themselves. Like we go to work, we see that some refugee or immigrant took the job and some people get frustrated by this. And of course, there is this tension. And that's where our work of our, of our organization is crucial to help people understand that immigrants and refugees are not taking jobs, that they are actually helping and contributing to a stronger economy there. So that's uh, that's also part of our work to build bridges between different populations here, between refugees and recipient society, between immigrants and locals here to help them understand each other better and better communicate. So I believe this this is this is a tremendous part of our job. Tell me about how children are faring. Are they able to flow into their new home? We should call it that because this is another question I wanted to ask you. How many people are actually planning to go back to Ukraine? But I want to ask you a question first about the children. How are they managing? Uh, With the the children, it's uh, very different and depending on age. The the younger children, the easier it gets for them to to settle. Those smaller children after this traumas regarding the relocation um, when they coming down or getting uh, some psychological support and they entering the school for them it's also taking time but uh, it's uh, it's man- manageable especially the first classes to get integrated in, in in the school but older kids are it's more difficult for them to to integrate in the educational system for example, kids from Ukraine, teenagers, 15 to 17, they mostly don't want to enter educational system. It's too hard for them. And about 75% of them are out of the educational system. They're trying to follow Ukrainian online curriculum, but not all of them do this. Sometimes they, as a teenager, they lie to parents and they do not study at all. And this creates quite a big danger 
for generation to to be without education and to be without social skills and the polish educational system is not well prepared for working with the intercultural groups and uh, working with the kids from different backgrounds uh, especially with those who have traumas who have problems with the language and language barriers younger it's much easier and they have less expectation they start school of course if they are teenagers they have much bigger expectation to uh, write essays do the presentations to write exams so th- this is a, another group that we're working with trying to integrate and support teenagers especially to stay in e- educational loop and as for smaller children and children at primary and secondary school we're trying to provide the intercultural assistance uh, the persons who are trained to support not only migrant and refugee kids but also the school community and teachers and direction uh, the directors of the school but also parents to well function in the school community Anastasia what do you need in order to do your job what do you need for the foundation in order to help meet this need First of all, one of the most important things that I need is resources and I don't only mean financial resources which of course are crucial for me to be able to do my job as we can craft special uh, solutions to all those problems so finances are a big factor but also we need human capital experience of our partners both domestically and abroad to share and contribute to our development to to get us a different perspective and a way of thinking and approaching those kind of problems what i need to do my job well is both people and resources this is a short answer to this the longer answer to this uh, would be many many huge well how do we get in touch with you how do people get in touch with you to support you in a way that you might need We have social medias and we also have a website which is fundatsiaukraina.eu and we also have our social medias on Facebook, Instagram and also LinkedIn where people can find us to get in touch with us and I also have my personal email to which people can reach out if they want to help it's fundraising@fundatsiaukraina.eu if they want to get involved and support us in any way I'd be more than happy to schedule a call meet in person and discuss any any solution this. Well, this has been terrific. I really do uh, appreciate you taking some time to be on the Heart of Giving podcast today. And obviously, you have a big job ahead of you that will be going on for a long time. We mentioned a minute ago about people going back. Most people don't have a place to go back to, I would imagine. That's, That's not going to happen. But their future is going to be somewhat dependent on organizations like yours that help them better integrate into their new homeland. And I was so struck by your passion, your knowledge of the situation, and your willingness to give all you could on their behalf. So I just want to thank you on behalf of them. I appreciate you joining the Heart of Giving podcast. And I hope we'll be able to check in from time to time just to see how things are going. And if any of you here uh, in the United States or wherever you're listening to this podcast want to help, you heard about the fact 
Foundation of the Ukraine, which is what they're doing. And you can reach out to them and support them in a way that could make a difference. So I want to thank all of you who are listening to the podcast for the first time. If you want to, I hope you'll subscribe to the show. You can do that by going to any major podcast platform. You can also see us on YouTube. And if you want to support the podcast, you're welcome to do that also by going to give.org and making a donation there. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. Thank you so much, Art, for having us and for your personal involvement. I hope it'll help. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.